Yeah, Philippians chapter 4, man, I am excited to preach tonight, though. I just believe that God's going to do some incredible things uh, in your home or in your car or wherever you're watching tonight. Uh, we've got a small team here in our studio. I want to thank them for coming out and staying safe. They look good in their cross equals X masks. Uh, shout out to our team for always putting in that effort. And so I'm going to preach to them tonight and uh, believe that there's going to be some great things. Philippians chapter 4, if you got it, say, I got it. We're going to start in verse 10. I want to read a few verses and then I'm going to share a message with you tonight that's going to encourage you and edify you and just help you continue to grow during this season. Uh, the Apostle Paul is writing and he's writing to a church called Philippi and we believe that he is actually in prison when he writes this letter. And so like you and me, many of us, he is in one spot. He cannot get out. He is quarantined, if you will. And from that place of isolation, he still has something important to say. I think that's a great thought. Never let where you are stop what you can do. A lot of us say, well, I'm stuck here. I can't do anything. But the reality is we serve a God that is not stuck. And although we might be in one place, he is in many places, all places at the same time. And that kind of brings a little bit of hope every time that I feel stuck. Here's what Paul says in verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, watch this, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Someone say content. Come on, turn to somebody next to you in your house, or if you're by yourself, just say it out loud, content. I have learned in whatever situation to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. And in any and every circumstance, here it is, I have learned the secret. Of, placing, of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. We all know this one. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Let's say it together. Verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I want to talk to you tonight a message that I've entitled, I'm stuck, but I'm still strong. I'm stuck, but I'm still strong. Would you join me for a moment of prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to open your word Thank you that in seasons like this, you are still present. We have so much that we could complain about, so many things that we could point out. But Lord, tonight I pray you'd teach us just to be grateful that you're still here. The greatest gift you've given us is yourself. So thank you for being in our midst tonight. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen, amen. If you're taking notes tonight, write that at the top of your paper, stuck but still strong. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, many of you know me and my wife, Randy. We've been married for five years now, about five and a half years. And it honestly, I could say, has been the greatest five years of my life. There's just been time after time where I just sit there and I almost laugh at God. Uh, when we first got married, everybody was like, marriage is going to be so hard. It's going to be so difficult. And, and it, it, it is difficult at times. I'm not even going to lie. There are some real things. But at the same time, it was, it was such a joy to get in covenant with somebody that I could walk through life and do things with. And so our relationship has always been a little different. We're very unique. We love to have fun. We love to mess around with each other to the point when, when we got married, we were even talking about where do we want to have our honeymoon? Now we had talked about, let's go somewhere tropical or let's do this. But of course we're different. We didn't want to do that. We said, let's go to New York city for our honeymoon. And so on January 1st, 2015, we flew to New York city. It was snowing. It was like 30 degrees, but we had the greatest 
time. I remember waking up one time in our hotel room and I'm like, I really want to go see the Empire State Building today. And so we rushed down. We found out. We're looking, walking around. We got to the general area where we knew the Empire State Building would be. And then we just kind of started walking around and we were looking at shops and we were looking at restaurants and we were taking pictures and doing all this stuff. After about 20 minutes of walking up and down this one street, I started getting mad at my wife. I was like, where's the Empire State Building? We came all the way down here and we've done this and we've taken pictures of that and we've eaten way too many $2 slices of pizza. Like we have done all this stuff. Where's the Empire State Building? And she goes, I think it's this way. And so we start walking down the street and then finally after 10 minutes, I looked at her, I'm like, it's not here. Well, let's go back this way. We walk down the other side of the street, still no Empire State Building. One day into our marriage and I'm already saying, I'm done with this. We can't even find our way around a city. And then it hit me, we stopped, we looked at each other and we looked up and right in front of us was the Empire State Building the whole time. Have, have you ever been in such a rush to get somewhere that you miss out on what's in front of you right now? Have you ever been so focused on where you're going, what you're doing, what you have on your list, that a lot of times you're looking for something, not knowing that it's actually right in front of you? If we weren't in such a rush, all we would have had to do is look up and see what we were looking for. I think there's a lot of Christians in this season that are looking for answers, looking for a way to get out of this, looking to know when things are gonna get back to normal, and we're looking for all this stuff, not knowing that what we need might be right in front of us. The Apostle Paul is writing from prison, as I said earlier, and, and, and he has a lot to complain about. You know the story of Paul. He, event, he at one point was persecuting Christians. He lived a life that was very focused on himself, what he thought was right, and trying to keep all the rules and performing for God. And he meets Jesus in a radical way, and Jesus changes his perspective. And it's from this jail cell, in Philipp, uh, as he's writing the Philippians, that he starts to pen some of the most beautiful words in our Bibles in that place of being stuck, in that place of, of not being able to control what's going on around him, Paul says some interesting words. He says, I have learned how to be content. In other words, I've, I've learned how not to search outwardly for everything when I know God has given me what I need right here. I want to tell you that, yes, we are in a difficult season. As many of you know, we've been talking about this for weeks, but our faith is not determined by how we assess a season. Our faith is determined by how we respond to the season. I like that. That sounds pretty good. Our faith is not determined by how we assess the season. Well, you know, this is going wrong and they want to do this and we should be doing that. No, friends, our faith is determined by how we respond to that season. And in this jail cell, Paul is stuck. He's stuck. His ministry is not continuing the way we think it should. He no longer has the freedom that he once had, but still in that place of stuckness, he says, no, I am strong. As a matter of fact, I'm probably stronger than ever because what I've been looking for the whole time is right in front of me. Maybe you're watching this message and maybe someone shared it with you, or maybe you're not even able to stay home. Maybe you're working in a hospital or a grocery store. You're, you're unable to be quote unquote quarantined. 
I want to encourage you, the principles of being stuck still apply to you. Just because you're not physically stuck doesn't mean that you can't be emotionally stuck or mentally stuck. Uh, Some of the nurses watching right now, you've been grinding and going and pushing, and it's very easy to feel like this is never going to end. But I want to tell you, even when you feel stuck, God is able to bring strength. He's able to teach you how to be strong, how to respond, not as you want to, but respond as Jesus did and as we see in Philippians as Paul did. God wants to strengthen things in our life. I've been learning in this season, I got to stop looking at what I don't have anymore and start thanking God for what's left. Uh, I feel like that's a word for somebody listening tonight. We have to be careful to stop complaining about what's gone and start thanking Him for what's left. Now more than ever, we have access to our families. Now more than ever, we have access to one another. I mean, I've been communicating with people more than ever. What is that showing? That's showing that God is still able to connect us and strengthen us even when we feel stuck. Now, maybe you're listening and you're like, Billy, but that's that's easy for you to say you're a pastor. That's easy for you to say, you know, you got all this faith. I'm new at this. I'm still trying to understand how to apply this stuff. Well, there's a scripture in the book of Revelation that tells us something that's very important. And obviously, the entirety of Revelation is important to our faith and um, all the end time stuff. And pastor's been doing an incredible job at kind of preparing us. And uh, the one-liner he's been using a lot is, this isn't the end, but it is the beginning of the end. In other words, he's saying we're stepping into a season where God is starting to fulfill things that we see in scripture like never before. Maybe you're here and you're saying, Billy, I'm glad that you got strength, but I got nothing left. I've lost something. I've lost my job or I've lost a relationship. Or maybe you're losing your mind and you're like, I can't. I'm all stir crazy. I can't stay in this house anymore. Revelation chapter 3 doesn't tell us to strengthen what we've lost. But in verse 2, it says this, wake up and strengthen what remains. I believe tonight God wants to strengthen what remains in our lives. Yes, we might have lost our jobs, we might have lost our comfort, our security, or the things that we've depended on, but you still have your faith, you still have your hope, you still have your community. Maybe God doesn't want to bring back what you lost, maybe He first wants to strengthen what's left and show you that He can do more with what's left than you and I could ever do with what we've lost. A couple things I want to share with you about this season, and I'll be brief tonight, Uh, Because I believe that this season is not a pull away from something. I believe that God's actually inviting us into something in this season. I believe, yes, the stores are closed and things have shut down. But at the end of the day, the heart of God is not shut down. God is still open and available for us. So maybe instead of saying, I'll wait till Wednesday or I'll wait till Sunday to connect with God. What if God is inviting you every day of your week to connect with him? I know for me, the first couple weeks of quarantine for me and my wife, we were just kind of trying to figure things out. What is our normal routine? How do I process what's happening? We started doing things intentional. We were like, hey, we're still going to do date night on Friday night. You know, I'm going to cook. I'm going to look up a video on YouTube on how to cook. And then, you know, we will have date night. We were still trying to have some normal in our routine. But even in the normal, God was doing something new. And tonight, if I could be vulnerable, I'd love to share with, what, with you what he's been doing in my heart, but also what I believe he wants to do in your heart. There's three things that God is inviting us into in this season. And I hope you catch that. Remember, it's an invitation. Okay, he, he, he is there. He is present. 
And I think there's three things he is inviting us into. So if you're taking notes, write these down tonight. Three things that this season is an invitation to. Number one, this is an invitation to stillness. This is an invitation to stillness. If you're like me, your mind is always running. You're always moving, going, thinking, doing. But the Bible says that we are to be still and know that He is God. We are to cut all the craziness that goes on in our head and just learn how to cultivate peace. Anxiety is an all-time high. Suicide is going up like never before. Drug abuse in this season is getting worse and worse because people are struggling to stay still in their souls. It's easy to post that you're doing well. It's easy to tell somebody you're doing well. But when you look inwardly, are you really doing well? Like, is everything good on the inside? I I had to take an honest assessment of, of my heart and my soul and go, God, here's where I'm struggling. Here's what I'm anxious about. Here's what's going wrong in my life. And that's the thing about God. He never designed for you to be stressed and anxious. He doesn't desire for us to be worried. He wants us to be still and know that he is God. Paul said this in verse 12 in the eight clause. Look what he says. He says, for I have learned in whatever season I am to be content. I love that. Paul says, I'm still within. Like, like, like when a rapid river is going crazy, Paul says, no, I'm not like a river. There's like a lake in me. It's nice and still and it's calm. The world around me is going crazy, but within I'm at peace with God. I'm at peace with what he's doing. And I can't control what happens outward, but I sure can control what happens to me inwardly. I think contentment is hard to find today. As you know, there's all this stuff to buy, all this stuff that we think we need. But at the end of the day, stillness is learning how to slow down your rhythm so you can see things about life that you might have missed in other seasons. Stillness is like me and my wife walking up and down the street in New York City, not knowing what we needed was right there in front of us. What if this season is is less about what you've lost. It's more about what God wants to cultivate in you again. He wants to teach you how to be still, how to have peace, how not to worry and freak out. Because when we are overthinking and when we are overanalyzing and when we are reacting rather than responding, when we are doing that, our lives are like in a hurry, you know what I mean? It's just kind of like we're always just on to the next thing. And, you know, when I, when I, when I, before this happened, like I was always focused on like, okay, I'm getting paid this day and then I got to make sure I pay for that. And then, you know, I want to do this. And then my wife would call me and she'd be like, when are we going out? I'd be like, okay, we got to do this. And then, you know, my boss is calling me, hey, I want to know how can we come to work? Okay, once I get home, I'm going to take care of the kids and this is going to go on. And then we come into God's presence like this. God, you're just another thing that I got to do today. And that's not how he desires us. Don't get me wrong. He'll take us as we come, but God wants us to come into his presence at peace. He wants us to know that, yes, things are going on and our lives may look like this, but with him, we can be still. The great Dallas Willard said this about hurry and rushing. He said, hurry is the greatest spiritual enemy of our day. I'm going to read that again. Hurry, being in a rush, is the greatest spiritual enemy of our day. What is he saying? He's saying when you are in a rush, you are unable to focus and love what's right in front of you. I say it like this. Hurry and love are incompatible. You can't love somebody and be in a hurry. Imagine if Jesus, woman with the issue of blood, grabs, his, grabs the hem of his garment. And he's like, hold on, I'm in a hurry. I got somewhere to go. No, he didn't do that. He paused. He stopped. He was still. I know that our rhythms are off. 
I know that we're no longer going to work or doing the things we normally did, but maybe God wants us to slow down so that we could see what's been in front of us the whole time. I think that even though we're stuck, God can cause peace to come in our lives again. So not only is he inviting us to stillness, but number two, he's also inviting us to simplicity. Simplicity. Paul says this again in verse 12. He says, I know how to be brought low. I I, I have understood when my life goes down, I know how to still be there and be joyful and have things that I need. Uh, The Bible's very clear. God supplies your needs. Amen. I need someone to say amen right there. He supplies your needs, but it never says he supplies our wants. I know for me in this season, the things that I thought I needed, I'm realizing I really don't need them anymore. I'm learning that simplicity is not just a thing or a step, but it's a way of living. It doesn't mean, you know, have less stuff. I know all the people on there are like, oh, this sounds like minimalism. I I, I don't, I can't do it. No, no, no. Simplicity is a way of thinking and a way of living. Here at our church, we talk about clearing the path, meaning we always want the next step for your life to be clear. We always want you to know if you're watching tonight, your next step is to get connected to a group, get connected to a life group. If you're in a group already, your next step is to join the dream team. We've we've tried to make things simple so that people believe they can actually do this. When I first started coming to church, I was freaked out because church seemed complicated. And I was like, I'm supposed to do this, do that. Well, I didn't understand it. But then when I truly met Jesus, when I really met him, I feel like he simplified everything. I feel like he taught me the things that you're striving for and going after, they don't really matter. (laughs) Isn't that funny? We get so worried when we fail at something that really doesn't matter. I would rather succeed at the things that do matter instead of wasting time or energy or stress or mental capacity on the things that don't matter. I think God's calling us to simplicity. Um, The simplicity of Jesus is incredible because you look at his lifestyle and you look at what he did and what he brought with him. He he never loaded on extra stuff. He, He always was very clear. When he sent out his disciples, he says, hey guys, take one cloak you know, don't take too much stuff. Don't be so stuck on what you can have that you miss out on who you are. Like, don't get distracted by things that you forget about your identity and the beauty of who I've made you to be. When my wife and I flew back home from New York on our honeymoon, we bought a bunch of stuff, of course. And uh, five years later, uh, my wife is still buying stuff. Um, but anyways, uh, you know, it, it, we bought a bunch of stuff. And, and I remember getting to the airport and we packed in all of our stuff before we got there. And y'all know this, when you, when you go to the airport, it's like there's like a 50-pound limit or something like that. Like you can only have 50 pounds in your suitcase or else they charge you like another $100 or something like that. And so we get to the airport. We've got two luggages. I, I put mine on the way, on the, uh, the scale, and, you know, it's like 42 pounds or something like that. And I'm like, we made it. And then, you know, Randy puts hers on the scale, and it was like 60 pounds or something like that. And in my head, I'm going, okay, we ain't going to pay another $100. It's newlyweds, you know what I'm saying? We're not going to pay another $100, so here's what we'll do. I've got 42, you've got 60. We'll take eight pounds out of yours, put it in mine, and then two pounds, we're going to have to get rid of it, girl. You want, this, is, this is what it is. And, and, and that was our first fight. Um, no, I'm joking. But uh, we, we, we did that, and, and the, the whole point of that story is if there was extra stuff, we'd have to pay more. I, I know a lot of people that are paying for things that they don't really need. They're, they're paying 
in their soul. They're paying in their relationships for things that they don't really need. I think that God is simplifying things in this season. He's showing us that we don't need the things that we think we do. We, we don't need to get stuck on what we don't have. Let's look at what we do have. We have each other. We have God. We have His Word. We have hope. We have what we've been doing around our community, serving and reaching out to people. It's very simple. The, the Apostle John, uh, the disciple John, writes this in 1 John chapter 3. Listen to how simple this is. He says, this is God's command. You want to know what God's command is? This is His command. Believe in the name of His Son and love one another. What do you mean, Jesus? Do you mean there's not like other stuff that I got to do? No, no, no. Let me simplify it for you. Believe and love. Believe in what Jesus did for you and love the people that Jesus also did it for. That's it. It got to the point where Jesus even took the Ten Commandments one day. They said, teacher, what is the most important commandment? He says, oh, let me sum it up for you. You got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. You got to love your neighbor as yourself. What did he do? He took the complexity of what people get stuck on and said, let me simplify it for you. So even though I'm stuck, this verse right here, verse 23, it says this verse, it's a sermon with just two points. It's a salvation sermon with just two points. Love, uh, believe in Jesus and love one another. That's the beautiful thing about love. Love simplifies things. If you feel complicated right now, you feel like there's too much going on in your life, Friend, I, trust me, you will always be grateful for removing excess things. The things that you don't need, you will always feel refreshed when you remove things that you no longer need. I, I was amazed at Easter this year. I think our staff, we were preparing for Easter. We were like, what is Easter going to be like online? Easter's our big weekend. It's going to be incredible. And then I started looking at it. I was like, wow, God, you've really simplified things. It's, it's no longer a service to go to on Easter Sunday, this year at least, it was just us, our screens, our families, and God. We didn't have the lights. We didn't have the, the fun and all the games and all the stuff that we normally do, which is incredible. That's why we do it, to reach more people. This year, it was like God said, no, nah, you don't need all that stuff this year. You just need me and the truth of my presence. Uh, Paul would write elsewhere about simplicity uh, before we wrap up. He says this in, in chapter 11, 2 Corinthians the, the church at Corinth, they were complicating things a lot. These dudes, they got saved, they, they met Jesus, and then after a few months, they kind of started falling back into things, and they were worshiping idols and worshiping Jesus, and, and they were sleeping with each other's wives and husbands, and, and they were making their religion about their works, and they were doing all this stuff to, to, in, in a great intention. I believe that they were doing things out of the right intention, but it was just too much. Jesus easily gets blurred in the background when everything else is at the front. It, there's a beautiful thing when you simplify your faith and say, let me bring Jesus to the front. Everything else comes in alignment with him. And so Paul writes in that tone, and he says this, but I am afraid as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds, look at that. He doesn't say your hearts. He says your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Paul is saying you can be saved in your heart, but still be lost in your mind. You can be a Christian and say, Billy, I prayed the prayer. I went to the camp. I got the t-shirt. I was in the water. I got baptized. I did it. Yeah, you're saved. The Bible says you are made right with God forever. But it's still in your head sometimes that we can complicate things. Simplicity allows us to take everything else that doesn't matter and focus just on him.
So in this season, God's inviting us to stillness. He's inviting us to simplicity. And lastly, number three, as I close, uh, I believe he's inviting us to solitude. Solitude. Solitude is, 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 a, is a fancy word for just being alone, just being in a quiet place. Now, all the parents are like, Billy, that sounds easy. You don't have any kids. You know, it's not a quiet place in my home. Don't, don't think about it as just physical quiet, okay? There is a place within that you can just learn how to be still and just rest even while you're doing things. Uh, Brother Lawrence, he was a, a monk that wrote a book called Practicing the Presence of God. And uh, in his little book, he talks about how throughout his day, while he was working and while he was walking and while he was reading or while he was praying, he always sensed God's presence. What was he trying to tell us? He was trying to say, you don't need all the extra stuff to experience God. You can experience him right here and now. Solitude, though, the act of getting away from distractions, only makes that process a little easier makes it easier to connect with God when we're not distracted by everything else. I know for me, when I wake up in the mornings and, and I read my Bible and I spend time praying, if, if, if my phone is anywhere near me, it's very easy to just get distracted and grab it. And before you know it, I'm responding to emails or looking at Instagram or something like that. And so when I go into solitude or prayer, when I have that time of prayer, I, I want to block out all the noise. I want to take a second. For some of you watching, this means waking up an hour earlier than you normally do or doing something in a different way. But sometimes you can't truly focus on God when you're stuck and distracted by everything else. Paul said, I've learned the secret to being content. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He says, I've learned the secret. Ain't that a trip? So Paul sees us, he sees contentment as a secret. Almost as if not a lot of people can get this. Like it's a secret. You really have to look for it to find it. And so when we go into solitude or when we go into places of kind of blocking out the noise, I mean, for practically this might be at the end of the night, you don't go to bed scrolling on your phone. You just lay there and, and just rest. Or maybe you don't go to sleep with the TV on. Maybe you sit up and talk to your spouse before you go to bed. Just something different that, that, that really enhances and magnifies your commitment to God. Uh, again, in verse 12, all three points from one verse here, he says this, I know how to abound. What Paul is saying is I know how to rest. I know how to be in a solitude state of mind. I think that God never calls us to be lonely, but he does call us to seasons to be alone. What does that mean? He calls us to seasons where it's not everybody else and us and God. It's just us and God. Sometimes God has to get you in a secret place before he reveals you in a public place. Sometimes God wants to know, can I trust you when no one's watching before I bring you to a place where everyone's watching? It's in that solitude state of mind that we really encounter him and who he is. Uh, there's a story in the book of Exodus about a guy named Moses. Moses was born in Egypt he is a Hebrew. He grows up in Egypt for 40 years. Many of you listening know his story. After 40 years, he kills an Egyptian and he runs away to the wilderness. And in the wilderness, remember, he was raised in a palace. Now he is in the wilderness. He meets this guy named Jethro and, 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 and uh, ends up getting married. He has this awesome, awesome 40 years in the desert. And the Bible says that Moses one day is tending his father-in-law's sheep. 
He is on the side of this countryside. I can imagine it was daytime. I can imagine it was a long day of tending sheep. The Bible says as he is walking, he sees this bush, and this bush is on fire. Now, when I get to heaven, y'all, I really want to talk to Moses because I just want to know what that was like. You know, I'd be driving down the road and see some crazy stuff on the side of the road, let alone a bush on fire that is not consumed. We pick up the story in verse 5 of Exodus chapter 3. The Bible says Moses looks at the bush and he says, look at that bush, it's on fire. And then from the bush, God speaks and he says in verse 5, do not come near Take your sandals off of your feet, for the place which you are standing is holy ground. I want you to understand what's happening. Moses is tending someone else's sheep. He doesn't even own these sheep. And I don't know what you know about sheep. I know from looking at Google, uh, I know that sheep do not always smell good. I know that sheep get things stuck in their wool. Sheep are not always sexy. Sheep do not always have a good vibe and a feel. And here's Moses in the wilderness. He probably smells like sheep doo-doo and just he's stuck in the wilderness and he's just doing all this stuff. And then God says, you're on holy ground. If I was Moses, I would have said, what do you mean holy ground? These aren't even my sheep. I don't even own these sheep. And look at where I'm at. I'm in the middle of the wilderness. I'm stuck. What do you mean this is holy ground? What what was God doing? He was trying to show him, Moses, I brought you to this place of solitude so I can speak to you. A lot of times we want God to speak, but we got all these things that are blocking it. And it's not until God strips away all the stuff that we can see him for who he actually is. I think that's what this season is. I think God is stripping things back so we can truly see him for who he is. You don't have to be a scholar to want to have a relationship with Jesus. You don't have to go through all this crazy stuff to just know him. Know right where you're at, he can meet you. Don't ever curse where you're at because God can meet you in the place that you think is bad. Henry Nouwen said this about solitude. He said, solitude is the furnace of our transformation. It's the place where we grow. As, as Pastor has been sharing every morning, 6 a.m. on Facebook and on Instagram, it's, it's, it's an opportunity for us to grow. I don't want to come out of this season and still be the same person. I, I, you don't go into the wilderness just to come out the same way. No, you go into the wilderness. That's what Jesus did. That's what Moses did. David did that throughout the scriptures. People go into the wilderness one way and they leave another way. The greatest tragedy is not that we're stuck. The greatest tragedy would be we're stuck, but we don't grow. I want to keep growing. Solitude is important to our faith. It's important to developing a relationship with God. Mark chapter 1 shows us that Jesus even knew how to be in solitude. Jesus himself was no stranger to being alone, to the point where he was alone on the cross. He was alone in the grave. He was alone throughout most of his ministry, his thinking. No one was really grabbing it. I want you to see how powerful solitude is as I, as I close, and I'm going to pray for you. Mark chapter 1, verse 35, says this, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. What is Jesus doing? He's getting out of his normal environment to go connect with God in a different environment. Okay, Here, here's a little cheat uh, on how to cultivate a prayer life. If you say, I want to start praying, but I don't know how to pray, just set a place in your house that you designate for prayer. And so in my house, I have a chair that when I'm in that chair, that's when my prayer time is. 
And so even when I don't feel like praying, just by showing up to that chair, God sees that as prayer. And he says, okay, you're showing up at least. I want to connect with you. So it says, very early in the morning, he left the house, went to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they said, everyone's looking for you. You ever felt like that before? Like everyone's looking for you. Everybody wants to know where you're at. Everybody's trying to grab you. He says, everyone's looking for you, Jesus. Verse 38, Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. For that is why I have come. Notice what Jesus says. They come to him and say one thing. Look at his response. No, we got something else to do. For this is why I've come. Well, wait a second, Jesus. Why don't you just stay here? No, no. I've got a purpose and I have meaning. I know my why and I know my what. Where did Jesus get that from? Where did he get the confirmation that he knew what he was supposed to do? Where did he get the confirmation that this is who I am? This is why I came. It was from a place of solitude. Jesus went into solitude, probably with questions, probably just to connect. He came out of solitude with a yes, and he knew his purpose. I think this season, friends, can't just slip by us. I think this, this season is the time to realize and understand why we've been created what our purpose is. Maybe you have a gift and you thought it was for the world. You're, maybe you're really good with numbers and you thought, well, I'm just going to use my gift here and never really anywhere else. No, you can use it for the kingdom of God. Maybe you just like to talk to people and you're just, I'm just a talker. I love to talk, you know, but I just figured it was only when people called me. No, maybe you're supposed to join our team and call others. Maybe that gift, your purpose, is for his kingdom. I think when we feel stuck, we can actually realize that God's inviting us into those moments. I, I think that God puts questions in us to lead us to himself is the only answer. I don't think God caused coronavirus. Someone said that the other day. They were like, you know, God caused, God brought the coronavirus. I was like, thank God I'm a man of God or else I would say something. But it's just, I don't think that that's his heart. God doesn't bring pain to his people. It's, it's all here. He, he would not do that but he does allow things to happen to often get our attention on what really matters. And I think tonight, many of you listening, he's trying to get your attention on what matters. There's somebody watching, you're just laying in bed watching this on your phone, and that's what your soul has felt like lately. It's just always dormant. It's just always laying there. You just feel depressed or you feel stuck. Can I tell you tonight, you can still be strong. Maybe you're watching this and you've got your four kids running around your house and maybe your husband's upstairs and you're just trying to figure out this whole faith thing in the middle of this season. Can I tell you, you might be stuck, but you can still be strong. Let's allow God to cultivate stillness within us. Let's calm ourselves. Let's be still and know that he's God. Let's simplify things. Let's not make things harder than they have to be. And then let's be okay with solitude. Let's not be lonely. But let's be okay with at least once a day being alone with him. As I mentioned earlier, Jesus knew what it was like to be alone. The Bible says that because of the sins of the world, Jesus went to the cross. And on that cross, he prayed a prayer. And it's pretty, it's pretty interesting when you think about it. Jesus prayed a prayer on the cross. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And, and there was silence. Think about this. Jesus prayed a prayer and it didn't get answered. He said, why have you forsaken me? And the heavens were quiet. If you're praying prayers right now and you're like, Billy, they're not being answered. Can I tell you, you're not alone. 
The Bible's very honest about unanswered prayers. What moves the heart of God is not how bad we want something. What moves his heart is how long we trust him and how long we're willing to wait for him. Thank you.